0: Welcome to the More Than 10 podcast, where we acknowledge the trauma healthcare workers and first responders experience every day and foster a safe place to discuss and process them. Hey everyone, it's Ashley, your podcast host, LD nurse, I would say new grad nurse, except your girl has actually graduated her nurse residency program, <laughs> which is crazy because that means I've been in the field for over a year and does it feel like it? No, but... I'm hoping there's some other people out there who feel the same way, but needless to say, I'm here to tell the tale, uh, but more importantly, I'm here today with two people who I interviewed a couple months ago. Uh, they're two brothers, actually, and one's name is Daniel Savelli and the other is Sam Civelli. Um, They've had an extensive background, which I'm about to tell you a little bit about, but really this podcast episode has kind of opened my eyes to the reality of the first responder culture um, and the things that they go through and how they get through it. And um, honestly, they speak on some harsh realities of it, but also on some lighthearted stuff as well. And uh, they're a great team together. Um, So again, I'll explain to you who they are. Let's start with Dan. Dan Savelli is an information... Technician for the West Hartford Fire Department, as well as an operational manager for the Windsor EMS. Uh, But the truth is, he's grown up wandering around firehouses and ambulance buildings since he was old enough to walk. He grew up in an emergency service family, which led him into the service himself. Starting in 1999, he was volunteered for the Windsor Fire Department, earning a promotion from field training officer to chief in 2002. He still holds many roles, with deputy chief being one of them while making time for teaching CPR and EMS classes, and of course for his beautiful family of his wife and three children. Sam Savelli, who again is Dam's brother, grew up on a similar path. He currently works at Pratt & Whitney Firefighter and EMT and has volunteered since 2003 at the Windsor Fire Department. Sam has worked for a nonprofit and two commercial EMS companies in the state over the years. He's also worked construction for a variety of companies and as a foreman as well. Sam is also married and has a daughter who just turned one, Uh, and they were really, like I said, a great group or a great duo to be interviewing, and I look forward to you guys hearing what they have to say. Um, Because this conversation was so great, this episode is going to be split into two, so we're going to go into part one right now. Part two will come later, but I hope you guys enjoy. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Welcome to the more than 10 podcast. I'm really excited for our guests that we have here today. We have Dan and Sam. Um, so now for both of you have already given the listeners the overview, a little bit about your histories as first responders in your in your careers in general, but I would love for you guys to explain in your own words, how you got to where you are today.
1: Uh, basically, it was we, we grew up in it. I mean, uh, we're brothers. Uh, both of our parents were in uh, emergency services, uh, our, our, dad was chief of the ambulance service in town was a local firefighter. Our mom was an EMT worked at uh, Mount Sinai in the emergency department. Um, so it really just became a kind of a way of life for you. You didn't, you didn't know any different when you grew up with, uh,
2: mm.
1: you know, going to calls and, and, and back then it was very normal for us to be in the car and a call of some nature would come in. We would go. The whole family would go. It was like an outing. Um, so, you know, when you kind of get there, who you grow up with, um, how you grow up and, you know, you want to be a part of that. Well, some people do. Some people obviously <laughs> are like, I want nothing to do with that. And they go in a completely different direction. But, um, you know, you know, watching your parents do those types of things motivates you to want to learn more and be like them in, in certain respects. And uh, I think we all followed. Uh, we have a sister, Megan, and, and she's also a paramedic. Um And, and we kind of all went down that route. Um, you know, a little bit like Plinko, you hit a different uh, peg. You might go a different route slightly. But, you
2: know, generally we're we're
1: all in the same boat.
0: That's awesome. Now, what positions are you guys holding today? What roles are you holding
2: in your community? i say, so currently right now, um, I volunteer with our local fire department, and I'm also an employee of a Pratt Whitney Fire Department in East Hartford. I um, just serve as a firefighter EMT there. And I definitely don't volunteer as much as I'd like to, but new kid and stuff, you know, sometimes you yeah. will get the time to deal with it. But yeah. And congratulations,
0: um, by the way, on, oh, thank uh, you. on your new kid. Yes, it's so exciting. L&D nurse here, so I love all this stuff.
2: Oh, geez. Yeah, the no sleep is not cool. But other than that, she's pretty great.
0: Yeah, they make it worth it eventually <laughs> for sure that's awesome and then um dan how about you uh
1: currently i am a deputy chief for the same fire department that sam's in um actually this month will be year 24 for me uh, in the fire department and that's actually how i how i met john uh was through the fire department um i also help out with the ambulance i'm on year like i think 22 with the ambulance at this okay. point, but I don't ride ambulances ambulance as much anymore. Uh, it's mostly administrative work. I try to help them with, you know, uh, budgeting, strategic planning, hiring HR, those types of things. Um, in my day job, I actually, where I am now is I, I work for the town of West Hartford in the fire department, uh, doing IT, technical support, I'm the drone operator, that type of stuff.
0: Cool. That's awesome. Thank you both for all your service and all your um, time committed to this. Um, now, can you explain a little bit more, elaborate a little more on how your dynamic was growing up in a first responder family? Did you ever notice growing up that it was different or not normal compared to other families? And then how did you kind of navigate that?
2: Best way to describe it, it's almost like growing up in the mafia. And let me elaborate <laughs> on that. It's you ever see the movie Goodfellas? They talk about everyone, the families, they all get together, they vacation together, they do everything together, so they don't know anybody different. It's kind of a similar situation. I mean, most of the things that you're surrounded with are other people who are volunteering or paid people and someone like my dad who would volunteer it, work it and teach it. There was really no aspect of life that wasn't what that was. So you met people that were almost exactly the same or in a similar walk of life. So you didn't meet other people until you'd go to school and you'd have friends and you'd talk about stuff you did with your parents and they kind of look at you weird like, what do you mean you went to a stabbing when you're, you know, like five, <laughs> oh
1: my God. like, well, it's
2: not normal for you. Like, I think you're weird, you know, kind <laughs> of thing. Um, you know, so it's, I don't know, it's just a little bit different. You just don't notice it while it's happening until you get away from it and you kind of walk your own mind and then you meet other people as you kind of go and, and you kind of you know, think about backwards on it and you understand from their perspective, like, all right, maybe we were the weird ones, but you know, in the moment you're going to defend your position.
1: <laughs>
0: right. Yep. I hear you with
1: that. Yeah. And and our parents were very good about, you know, boundaries or lack of boundaries. I, I would say we had a lot more freedom as children than I think a lot of other kids do. We got explained to things at a much earlier age than other people did. Um, you know, for odd example is I went to a very Christian preschool. Um and, you know, when my dad didn't have a babysitter when he was in medic school, I would go to medic school with him. So when they were talking about storks and this wonderful like how babies are made, I'm like, Nope, there's a vaginal canal and they come out through the uterus and they're like <laughs> and they're like, Mr. Savelli, you need to come pick up your son. Like so, you know, some of those things, and, and like Sam said, you're right, it was when you're surrounded by other people that are uh, similar enough to you and your parents are hanging around all other people and there, you don't, you don't recognize that there's anything different, really, until you start interacting with other, uh, you know, kids at school. And they're like, uh, mm, what, what do you mean you don't know about that or, you know, that this is weird to you?
0: Yeah, definitely. And it sounds like from what you guys are saying, you know, you had your immediate family as a support system that was in this culture and this dynamic, but then you also had their friends and their support system outside of that. So you guys kind of had this whole culture that you guys grew up in, um, which kind of leads me to my next point. And that being, um, you know, a lot of first responders, and healthcare workers, what they go through and what they see, they find it hard to talk about with their families because unless one has kind of sat in that role or kind of, or has seen firsthand what they're talking about, it's almost hard to comprehend. So A lot of people find it challenging to talk about with their family and to get the right support that they need from that. Um, But how did having this entire support system help you guys when you kind of started to grow into your careers in this and, you know, see these things and really experience some traumatic times? How did that help you?
2: It could be a help and a hindrance. So and as I get older, I can kind of recognize some things that were probably handled inappropriately, just because it's the way that everybody handled them. So if you go through something traumatic, we'll say that you do you do a bad call. It's just a messed up site all the way around. And you and your partner, whoever you're on that call with, it's a man that was crazy, you know. And then you make jokes about it, you know, it's inappropriate jokes that, you know, it's just something to try to ease the tension and try to get through it. But mm-hmm. the problem is, is when you surround yourself with people that are exactly the same as you that aren't necessarily expressing the appropriate emotions that you don't really deal with it. You just kind of skim over it and move through it, which mm-hmm. kind of leads for problems later for how you handle things that are totally unrelated. So it's kind of tough. It's a it's a gift and a curse. You get people to support you in the moment, but at the same sense, it might not be the right support that you might need to, you know, fix yourself fully, you know? Yeah. So it's tough.
1: Yeah. And the other thing that's always interesting is is emergency services personnel tend to marry or have relationships with other people in emergency services yes. you know nurses marry you know police officers and firefighters marry paramedics and you know those types of things and, and in some instances sam re- reinforces the point is is that you have the same coping skills but they're not always the best coping skills mm. um both both uh, sam and i's uh wives are are not in uh the emergency services profession i mean i've been my wife for a long time so she understands well enough what she can understand and she can kind of read me about where I'm at with different things and, and try to provide so, support. But um, most everything else that you would see in a, in a show, I mean, how do you see cops dealing with all of the stress on NYPD blue or whatever? They go to a bar right. or, you know, you get, you know, and that's, you know, that's the persona that you kind of see and you assume that is the right way to cope with things. Um, and I'd say, Probably it hasn't been until the past probably eight years that people have started really talking about like, I don't think we're doing this right. You know, the suicide rate for a lot of these first responders is going up and, uh, you know, they started kind of, you know, digging in. It was more normal to talk about things and, and not to, talking about the calls has always been normal. And that's where the joking came around, but it's talking about your feelings and how you're dealing with things afterwards that I think is, uh, they're they're trying to make that more of the uh, the normal that it's okay to have those thoughts, those feelings, and it's okay to discuss them with other people um, in your profession or even in your family.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely, and um, I do I do see it with other first responders. The comedy aspect of how sometimes they approach what they just saw and comprehend what they just did. Um, so. You talked about it as a hindrance, but as a tool, can you talk a little bit more maybe sprinkle in some of the history that you got going on about how comedy started becoming a tool um, for yeah. first responders?
1: I, I mean, the, again, growing up with people in the family, my our, our dad's uh, best friend, uh, who we call Uncle Hank, lived across the street from us. He was he was uh, in the he volunteered in the ambulance with our parents, actually, you know, founded the ambulance in, in town with our parents and his wife, Auntie Sherry, did the same. She also worked at Mount Sinai. So, um the nice thing was, is they kind of treated us like adults. We were able to kind of go over there freely. We needed to walk out and across the street. So from a young age, we had people that weren't our parents that we were able to kind of talk with. And um, as we developed into our careers, they were, you already had good relationships and they were a good resource for things like that. Um, but they, they, they had kind of a wry sense of humor. One of my dad's other, you know, best friends, uh, Lee Nolan, who passed away not that long ago, used to be on the ambulance, had probably the wry sense of humor. You know, he would deliver the joke you did without smiling. Sometimes you... Took you a minute to get there, but you know, some of these things kind of made it approachable. I think the comedy makes the conversations approachable because if you can laugh about it a little bit, you can kind of come back down out of a, out of a 10 to maybe a five. And then that kind of opens you up when you, when you share laughter with somebody else, it, it brings you a little bit closer. You don't really make jokes with people you meet on the subway. Um, so that kind of opens up the ability to have those conversations. Um, and and deal with things that, you know, a, a big problem sometimes dealing with in smaller chunks, you can kind of do through humor. It's a kind of an angled approach to to get into things. But once you get started, um, it, it kind of allows you to open up and uh, reveal a little bit more about yourself, too, because depending on what your level of humor is. And Sam talks about the inappropriate humor is we just look at it as humor. But with the normal people, um, you know, they're <laughs> probably horrified. <laughs> um but you know that 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 allows the other people that know you to kind of judge where you're at with and how you're dealing with the humor and the types of humor that you're um presenting at the time.
0: Yeah. So if by almost by cra- like putting some humor into the situation you're kind of saying to people I'm I'm ready to talk about it or I'm okay to talk about it, I'm okay to acknowledge it. It honestly,
2: it kind of, it brings levity to the situation and you know, whether you do it or don't do it, it almost like it tests the waters for you. So when you make the joke, it's how well is it received and how do people respond to it? So Mm -hmm. it's one of those yeah, they're laughing with you. And then you dig a little deeper, you make a weirder joke. You know, it's it's basically, it's almost like trying to touch your feeling sideways in front of somebody. So that way you can approach it, but not approach it. So that if that conversation goes badly, or you can tell that you're reading the room and things aren't really going the way you're planning, it's no, nah, I'm just kidding. You know, haha, whatever, you're laughing it off versus yeah. no, I'm really having a problem. And you know, I kind of want to talk to somebody about this.
0: Yeah. Can you guys think of any specific instances where, um, And again, I'm trying to provide our listeners with like tools on best ways to approach these things, these topics. Um, And I think it'd be beneficial to know, can you think of any time where you did, let's say, crack a joke about something that was really bothering you and it did lead to a really deep conversation about it? And can you tell us more if so?
2: That's, that's kind of tough. So, I mean, I, I thought about that question a bit and the tough thing is, is going through just doing it for years and years. I don't want to say almost kind of numbs you to that sense, but it kind of numbs you to the sense where it's what was, what was one that stands out or something that you dealt with. I think that's the thing. I think that you you use the comedy for it and you almost become robotic about it where you just kind of move through everything. And conversely, if you look at how you, you're living the rest of your life, you do realize that a lot of things just become kind of numb. There's not a lot of ups and downs. It's not, not like a sociopathic thing, but it's there's not a lot of ups and downs because you have to maintain it a certain level because if you don't, then you give yourself the opportunity to have your feelings hurt or exposed or whatnot. So it's, it's kind of a tough one to be honest. Mm.
0: And I I feel that that's a, like a persona where, um, or almost like a, like a take on this, where I have seen in society, you know, a lot of people have become numb and I almost want to restart the conversation to provide them with like a space where they could talk about it and they don't have to be numb about it. And Hearing that, how, what advice would you give somebody to prevent that? And do you think becoming numb to it is necessarily a bad thing?
2: Um, Basically, I would say, you know, I find that it's easier to talk to somebody who has similar experience. Not you don't want somebody that's the same as you because they probably have the same problems that you do. So you, you can't help each other. If you both got the same two broken parts, it's not gonna fix itself.
0: Right. You but, just say we both have the same problem, then you don't know what to do
2: with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. oh I guess we're both screwed. And then you laugh it off and that's you know, <laughs> there's your day with us, you're still in the same spot. Yeah. Um, if you find someone that has a similar experience. I know that there's a lot of people in EMS that there's a particular girl that they go to see, and she's a therapist. And she was she did a lot of road medicine for a long time, but she went into psychology. And she's, um, you know, she's talked to a lot of them, and she's geared towards that type of therapy. So you're not seeing your run-of-the-mill regular therapist who really doesn't have the experience of the things that you're feeling. Because the thing is, is it goes back to the whole you don't want to talk to somebody that doesn't have any clue what you're actually going through. Anyone can observe your feelings, or they can read out of a book and tell you what you're supposed to do, but in reality. Most of that stuff doesn't come into play, and nobody can use that stuff in a practical application. Yep. So it's it's kind of tough. I would say my my best thing that somebody could use is talk to somebody early. You know, nowadays it's there is no shame in talking to a therapist, which people you know couldn't do before. The mm-hmm. other the
1: other nice thing is is more recently there are peer support teams. A lot of the bigger organizations and even some regional uh, opportunities, at least in EMS and, and some for fire. Um, The regional support teams are just that. They're people that, you know, have no problem being approachable and able to talk to other people about some of these things. So, you know, it, it could be, I'm not going to call it like, you know, AA, but it's, its you know, you need to call up somebody on the team and you just need to sit down and talk. Maybe you have a dinner or some snacks or something like that. And you can kind of just vent because the, the biggest thing I, I would say is, is humor or no humor. If you can at least bring it up and you can talk about it a little bit, it, it kind of take, it kind of pops the pimple. Uh, You know, it doesn't, Resolve the problem hundred percent, but it doesn't allow it to get bottled up. Um, people that bottle things up and you got to figure this has been going on even before emergency services. You got to look back to people that were shell shocked in, in World War one because mm-hmm. of the carnage and whatnot they had seen. And you got all the way through the Vietnam War. It was just like a, ah, you just deal with it, but they were starting to see negative outcomes long term and were starting to attribute the negative um, outcomes to that trauma that they were seeing. And most of it was you just didn't talk about it. So yeah. talking about it, whether it's through humor, whether it's through peer support, whether it's through a therapist, whether it's through somebody else, it at least gets the conversation going. And I always find that if you can get people talking, you know, that that will generally lead to better things. Uh, again, depending on who you're talking to, if it's somebody that's in the same boat as you, they might not have a lot of um, uh, skills to be able to kind of get you out of it. But it, at least if you feel that you're one, not alone and it's not just you that in of itself is comforting. Two, if you feel you can let your guard down a little bit with somebody because uh, EMS and, and emergency services and fire departments, whatnot, and, and nursing, it's, a, it's I'm going to say it's a close-knit environment. It, like what Sam was saying before is you have somebody that works at the grocery store, and they're like, yeah, tell me about your problems. And you're like, no, like I don't <laughs> think you get it. Or or you do, and then you start talking, and then they're either horrified or very confused. Um, yeah. And that really causes you to shut back down again. So what you really want to do is, is you want to be able to let people kind of Talk in a comfortable space. And and comedy is an easy way, like Sam had said before, is, is to kind of get in there because you can kind of make smaller jokes about the scene, uh, you know, and and develop into a place where you can have a rapport with somebody that you feel more comfortable. And and maybe it's that you pick out something, you know, odd and you start there like, Hey, did you see that the the sandwich that was wrapped up in the guy's car that was all wrapped up? What do you kind of sandwich do you think that was? And you, know, you know, you kind of go down a I was like, I don't know, but I really could go for a capicola right now. I mean, Sam and I, you know, coming from an Italian household, we we deal with food is is a uh, appropriate or not appropriate uh, way to deal with a couple of these things. And
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: obviously, we're both larger than we probably should be. Oh my god! Uh, but it's uh, you know, it it was uh, growing up an Italian household. You don't feel well? We're gonna feed you. You you had a great day? We're gonna feed you. <laughs> it's Tuesday. We're gonna feed you. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's between the comedy and the food. It's just this. This is the environment that you grow up and you think this is normal. So you go to houses where people don't eat the way that we eat. Like your parents hate you. Like what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, you don't have people laughing about stuff. You don't have the same people coming over and and doing their things with you. It's just it's weird. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Like my my jokes look a little different than your jokes.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I think the trauma bond is really what kind of glues people together. Yeah.
0: yeah. And how do you the trauma bond is powerful, but how do you keep it from weighing you down
2: try to bottle it in as long as you want you can hope for the best but truthfully it'll come out in a different form where whether it be coming home from work and you're being detached you're glued in your phone everyone in the room around you is essentially non-existent or being minorly explosive because somebody left you know uh you know a peanut butter spoon on the sink and you're screaming at everybody in the house for no particular reason and it's like was that really worth that, or are you mad because you really haven't dealt with whatever it is that you had going on for however long you've been traumatized for? That's Definitely. tough. It, and
1: it can go a couple different ways too, because uh, there's there's also traumatic growth. I mean, there's there's things and even people that are not in in uh, emergency services in any fashion that have dealt with trauma. There, there's either either ways that you kind of ignore it or you try to go at it head on. And and sometimes with the traumatic growth, if you've Found ways to deal with things that are a healthier way, then you become stronger and more resi- resilient because of it. Um, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, obviously I, I have three small children and things that they think are a big deal. I'm like, in the grand scheme of things, th- this is not a big deal. And I, I sometimes have a harder time uh, empathizing when, you know, this is the worst day ever. Like I didn't get, you know, pizza crunchables for lunch. And I'm like, <laughs> like, no, there, there, there are worse things out there. But that traumatic growth sometimes, if you can do it in the right way, can help kind of make you a more resilient person, can give you the kind of experience to go forward. And a lot of it has to do with coping skills. Uh, you know, Sam had talked about a lot of people will bottle things up and then it just, the bottle gets filled. It'll pop out, you know, in, in odd ways. But some people do have some um healthier ways to deal with things. I know people that are fitness nuts. Now, I'm, you can always go too far in any direction, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, um, but, you know, if uh, there's somebody that we know that's a paramedic, we used to work with that goes on anger runs like he gets angry and he just runs. I mean, it's better than hitting the bottle. It's better than doing drugs. It's, you know, getting that dopamine release in, in, a, in a more positive uh, way. And then people look to that person and go, oh, do you need somebody to run with? Because, cause that's, that's really at the end of the day, comedy requires more than one person, right? Mm-hmm. Going, going to be a partner, it, you know, nursing is not an individual sport, you know, either EMS isn't. So really it's, it's, it's finding a way that you can have other people that you can sit and bond with, whether that's that you can commiserate through comedy, uh, that you can bond over food, that you can do something to bring yourself together outside of uh, the traumatic environment to, um, at least feel a part of something else. The worst that anybody can feel in any of these professions is that they're alone, that they're unique in a bad way, that it's just them and they can't handle things. And most of the people that have had negative, you know, outcomes, um, or have gotten out have felt isolated. Um, and, and that's, I guess we're, we're circling back where the comedy comes helpful is that nobody really feels isolated in comedy. I mean, if we're making a joke and we kind of all understand the joke, we're all part of the joke, we all get the joke. Uh, you know, if 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 Ashley did something silly on a call and we bring it up for the next ten years, you know, as long as it's not you know detrimental that she's you know feeling badly about it, it was just something you know you did as a goof. Right. Um, you're part of that joke. You're part of the environment. You're part of the group. And 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 that in and of itself is a support system. Is it the only thing you need to to deal with the uh, trauma? Absolutely not. But it's it's a great place to kind of bloom other opportunities like the angry running or the overeating or, you know, however else, you know, people want to handle these things.
0: Yeah. And now how have you noticed people in your community other than, um, you know, being peer support groups and other than the comedy, how else have people gotten this far um, after experiencing that one trauma after another, how have they gotten this far and stuck with it um, without getting their bottle to pop? What tools did they use?
2: So, I don't necessarily know if it's a tool, but it's kind of a weird thing about trauma. I feel like there's certain groups, especially in EMS, it's almost like some people are proud to wear that trauma. Some people wear it like a badge. It's almost like they gatekeep it. And then I think there's other people that kind of figured it out a long time ago that were able to make it without totally losing empathy, but kind of able to go through the motions and continue to do their job. It sucks because doing something like EMS fire or you know, hospital stuff or police stuff you can't really take the human element out of it but at the same time you have to take the human element out of it because if you get attached to every patient that you you know touch it's there's thousands and thousands of people i mean most of the time it's it's a tough thing to realize too and you being a nurse you know i'm sure you've seen your fair share of things and most of our job is just we're there to bear witness so there's trauma that's going to happen there's bad things that's going to happen you know people are going to live and die in spite of you regardless and if you can accept that, then you can move through it as a job.
1: Separation. I, the separation thing sometimes will help too. It's what Sam would kind of talk about is, is, you do still need to maintain the human element that there's person. Our our, our parents were very big on patient care, and that's forget the band aids and the boxes and all the rest of that. It's just treating with people as a human. But you can't be invested so much that you know you you can't see through the end of the outcome. Um, I, I look at it sometimes that. You know, people are like, we'll ask weird questions, like, oh, you've been EMT for a while. how do you deal with naked people? I'm like, I don't know, you just deal with naked people. I I kind of look at it like I'm a mechanic, or like, okay, they have a broken, you know, tie rod, like we just need to fix the tie rod. It's like but people are like, but the bone was sticking out and there's bleeding all over the place. And like it's no different than oil on there. You put gloves on, you obviously don't want to get messed up, but you know, the rest of it's just you're taking care of what you need to take care of. And and sometimes that that cognitive separation allows you to operate a little bit easier. Um and And putting things into manageable boxes uh can kind of give you better success i think going forward. that doesn't mean that they are a car and you just treat them like a car, but there's you know the mechanical portion of things you kind of have to treat you know separately and then emotionally you need to be you know, support supportive to the you know patients and you do need to bear witness and you do need to you know talk to the family as if you know um and and care and care a bit. The, the beautiful thing about, uh, you know, at least fire and EMS that I, I don't, uh, envy you being a, a you know, a nurse is that we have like a 45 minute window to love and leave these yes. people. Like, right. So you're there, you're taking care of them. Like, man, that really sucks. I hope things turn out for the best for you. You're watching people for days, weeks, months. Yeah, like, couldn't do it. that's, nope. that's where it gets, t- that's where it gets tough. Yeah. And I don't, and we I don't do know your job we, either. we could the I was going to say the, the short duration nature of, uh, fire and EMS and, and even, you know, police in a lot of instances, even when you see frequent flyers, it's still, it's, you're looking at maybe an hour on average. I'd say with, with people that you're, you know, able to interact and care and you're able to put a lot of energy in that hour because it is an hour. Um, right. I don't know. You, your, your podcast could probably look at how you can stretch that, that love over, you know, months. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, that's got to be that's got to be a lot harder to to deal with. And I, I can't say that I've had experience levels that way outside of, you know, dealing with, um, you know, sick family members. Uh,
0: and I, I like what both of you are saying when you kind of put it in perspective of, you know, you're there to bear witness, because I agree. If you think about things like, you know, getting used to seeing someone naked or getting used to seeing someone, you know themselves, it's you do become numb to those things and they don't really phase you after a while. Um, and you're able to just kind of like compartmentalize in a way, um, which does help in the moment when you're taking care. And I think that what a lot of people struggle with is that emotional side. Once they leave that area, they leave the scene, they leave the hospital and they have to then figure out how to unpack it. Um, and I the the common theme as I keep doing these interviews is I just keep hearing people you know find a support system find a support system and that's why I think it's so cool that um your family created this community where you all kind of understood and you all supported each other um whether it was a hindrance at times but also a strength um I think that's really neat and I think that a lot of people can kind of learn from that and I also think that um Sam I think you painted the perfect picture of why i'm doing this podcast and why it's important to have this conversation because we don't want people going down the rabbit hole like you just talked about and you know kind of having a life where they hit 50 and they realize they missed a step they they missed something in themselves that's severely wrong that they're not dealing with that they then have to unpack even more and unravel even more which is going to be even harder and i as coming into the workforce as a new grad i i want to start the conversation early to what your point you had said earlier you know start it early start Analyzing it early to start like conversating about it early, um, just so that you could be aware that this can happen and don't just wait for your time to happen. Do something about it now. All right, friends, it is that time where I must love and leave you. Do yourself a favor today and find a way to give yourself more than 10. If you like this podcast and would like to leave a comment on the Podbean app, that would mean so much. Even more so, a share on any social media platform or to a friend would be much appreciated. As always, thanks for listening. I look forward to seeing you back on the next episode.